that is where I learned the power that listening has on people. <laughs> Non-judgmental listening. That is Kirby Broadnax, and she is today's guest. I am so excited to bring you today's episode. Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and I bring you interviews with creatives and entrepreneurs. And today is extra special because we will be picking the brain of Kirby. She's had years of experience in mediation and conflict coaching. She's a community builder and a facilitator, and she has a master's degree in conflict transformation. So there are really two parts to this conversation. The first is about her work. What is the scope of conflict transformation, which is kind of like conflict resolution, but it's a little more holistic, a little less surface level. We talk about her journey to discovering that kind of work, and she gives us some tools to use in our lives. The second part of the conversation is a little more pressing about current events, and you might feel like you're eavesdropping on just friends talking, because you kind of are. I mean, in this moment that we're in in America, but also very much here in London, it was really natural for me to reach out to Kirby. She is one of my dearest, oldest friends. She's one of the people that I have been able to have frank conversations about race with for years. And she's opened my eyes on more than one occasion by sharing her experience as a black woman in America. It's a really rare candor, I think, that I I just so appreciate. The world needs Kirby. She makes my life better. She makes me a better person. And even editing this podcast and re-listening to the conversation I just keep getting more out of it. So lastly, this is a bit of an aside, but really just me fangirling. Kirby has a beautiful voice, and so I have decided to break up some of our conversation with this song she sang at her master's graduation. It's I Won't Be Afraid, written by May Earlwine, and here's a short clip performed by Kirby Broadnax, and then we'll jump right into our conversation. I won't be afraid afraid to fall I'd rather be broken and give it my all I won't be afraid afraid to believe show me a future that I want to see I won't be afraid. Oh my God, we did it. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I had to restart Zoom twice. <sighs> Freaking Zoom. Uh, well, it's good to see you. Good to see you too. I feel like you have such a sense of, you see, you are seeing everything that's happening from a 200 foot viewpoint like you're seeing things with a sense of like understanding what's happening and i'm curious about what are the things in your life that led up to you going and getting your masters in conflict transformation which is to me i feel is so applicable to <laughs> this life in this moment you know i i often cite my studies at Miami University. I studied sociology and women's studies. And one of the really key perspectives that I took away from 
those fields of study were were around how you know how to understand my own lived experience in relationship to larger systems having really critical conversations about race and gender and class and you know all of these these systems that are set up that contribute to advantage and disadvantage and and how to to understand my experience my personal experiences in a different way it really helped me to better make sense of things just in a way that has remained with me for that's remained with me since then um, so being able to 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 zoom out and zoom in and zoom out and zoom in what you just said resonates with me as so true like i see that in you and so do you feel like that's a skill then or is that some intrinsic or innate um behavioral definitely not innate i mean i learned i learned this um i for sure learned it gives it. the rest of us hope this nice <laughs> yeah you know yes yes we we are capable of learning so much more than we learn we we are <laughs> yeah. And unlearning too, right? I mean, that's so. Uh, you know, I I have have continued to be on a, an unlearning journey as well. Um, Tell me more about that. Shed, yeah, trying to shed the 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 lessons that I've learned that are harmful to me personally, and or that. Um, that aren't true to my values mm. or that permit or perpetuate harm in ways that I don't want to contribute to. I mean, everything from critiquing some of the, some of the things that I grew up learning, like at home or through church, but also, you know, unpacking and dismissing and letting go of like the, the, harmful things that I learned about, you know, what it means to be a black woman, for example, in the U.S. And these are things that you learned by just, you just picked up from existing in the culture. Yeah, largely, but also through comments that people would say to me or experiences that I had, learning through being in relationship with other people or through, you know, behavioral interactions with other people. Sure. In addition to things like the the faces you would see on the cover of magazines and, and stuff like that. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So learning, learning and unlearning. So whenever people ask me, you know, what led me to study conflict transformation, I, I always in my mind go back to the grad school essay that I agonized over that started out as eight pages, Katie, that my beautiful friends <laughs> gave me feedback on so that I could reduce it to, in some cases, 500 words. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I think about my experiences in Teach for America, working with, in particular, my fifth grade class. In the beginning of my time with them, it did feel constant. You know, I felt like I was constantly navigating you know, different dynamics that would bubble up into conflict that would result in yelling or, you know, kids like standing up, threatening each other. And I was like, okay, like, how do I get, I mean, not just how do I stop the disruptive behavior, but how do I 
work with the students to help them engage with one another in, in just a more compassionate and, and I would say at that point more peaceful way, you know, like how can I facilitate those, that kind of relating to one another, especially with my fifth graders, you know, I was really like thinking about how can I, how can I do this? And I, you know, I honestly don't even remember like what I did. Um, (laughs) things did eventually shift. And I think part of it was just like continuing to build relationships with the students. But that was like the first time that I can pinpoint thinking about like how to approach conflict in Hmm. a different way. And then, uh, I moved back to Cleveland. My friend Kayla, who I've, who I've been friends with since fourth grade, knew that I was coming back to Cleveland and looking for work. This was in 2010. She forwarded me a job opening with Cleveland Mediation Center. And so I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. Um, you know, I, I knew that mediation it was a different way to address conflict. And so I worked there for a little over four years, and my, my primary work wasn't mediation, but more conflict coaching, um, kind of one-on-one or like small group conversations um, to, to help kind of unpack what's going on in a situation. Did they um, train you for that? So I was trained as a mediator, they offer basic mediation training. There wasn't an explicit, explicit conflict coaching training. I learned by watching, hmm. by watching um, my colleagues who'd been there. And that was also the, I mean, as a side note, the first place that I heard about appreciative inquiry and, and a strengths-based approach to a situation. So not, not kind of leading with what are the problems, but you know, like one of the common questions that I would ask folks um, in that role was the last time you were going through a difficult situation, like what did you do that helped you get through that situation or, Mm. you know, who supported you in working through a difficult situation in the past? So really kind of inviting people to to draw on past successes, strengths, capacities to, to, you know, address whatever was going on in that current moment. It's a really empowering place to, um, to begin, right? It's like you have these tools in, in right, you. right, right. Um, so that work helped me continue to think about, you know, and, and not only just think about, okay, like what are some other ways to address conflict, but, but really seeing in real time the impact uh, the impact of, of my work, you know, like, and not my, like, it was about me, but I just, I mean, that is where I learned the power that listening has on people, <laughs> non-judgmental listening. People were coming in in a like already vulnerable situation, places where conflict had erupted or, you know, whatever, just like they were experiencing a lot of difficult things. I was sitting in front of them in most cases, having no experience like what they've, they were sharing with me. And in many cases, I couldn't do anything to alleviate what they were experiencing. But part of my role was, was listening to people mm-hmm. share their story so that I could think like, okay, is there something that my organization can do to, 
to help them address this issue that they're talking about. I mean, I loved that job so much because I got to sit and listen to people. And that's what I, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed doing. And I was, I was astounded, Katie, at, first of all, how open people were with me. They didn't know me at all. (laughs) They were very open with me. You know, if I'd say like, I'm sorry, like it, it, I'm not sure that there's anything that I can help you with right now or something like that. And they would just, they would say, that's okay. Like, thank you for listening. (laughs) Like, thank you for just listening. Wow. I mean, obviously there's so much more to do beyond listen, right? There's just so much more to do, but, but that really kept me on this path of like, okay, if people find a lot of relief in having someone listen to them, what else is possible around creating opportunities for healing or creating opportunities for connection or different ways to think through problems or challenges or conflicts? You know, my subsequent work with Western Reserve Land Conservancy was also kind of related to working with people to address different kinds of problems rooted in like land access or neighborhood improvement. I I was seeing a variety of, of challenges before me and also not a whole lot of creative strategizing around how to address these issues and was curious about like what else was out there. And I have my parents to thank for sure, for how I approach conflict. They have modeled consistently, both with, with my brother and I, but also with their own families, you know, how to confront conflict hmm. in, a, in a loving way, but in a way that, that, that keeps, keeps you accountable, you know. Learning that from them has made me willing to step into conflict. I mean, it's, it's, it's not comfortable. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm not like running up to, you know, when I see two people arguing, but but I'm not, I'm not paralyzed by conflict. You've always amazed me with this. You have a certain amount like in your bones from the way you were raised and you have these real world experiences. Why a step further? to grad school, EMU, and you decide you're going to, like, this is going to be your focus. And then, like, did it fulfill expectations? Like, what was the step further? Yeah, why a step further? Um, I felt like, I mean, my, my decision to go to grad school is really out of a desire to, to learn very explicitly some tools, strategies around a you know, creative ways to address conflict. My interest expanded and evolved and deepened. And, and that was, you know, that was due to the things that I was learning. I was able to, to say like, oh, right. It also feels important to focus on trauma healing or, oh yeah, I also want to learn some new facilitation strategies. But, but I wanted to have the opportunity to, to focus on learning about conflict. And so, you know, I mean, I grew up with the, the kind of understanding that the way that you learned things was by going to school, you know, through formal education. And so I decided to, 
to go back and get another <laughs> formal education. <laughs> in a lot of ways, yes. I mean, I graduated from the program feeling like I have a new expanded understanding of conflict. I've got some strategies and tools that I can that I can go to. I've got some theories that I can think about applying. Um, I have new ways of of analyzing conflict, you know, Mm -hmm. so not just sort of seeing it, but really like pulling it apart. This is going to be hard because you went to school for two years learning all this stuff. And I don't expect you to just be like, here's what I learned. But what were some of those tools? Like one of the processes that I learned that I have used that I feel really excited to to practice more is a circle process. Tool isn't, I mean, I know I, I said that word. And, and there are things that I learned that I would consider more like tools. But, um, but circle process, I wouldn't say is a tool. I mean, it's a process and it's a, a space that's created that can facilitate both celebration and it can facilitate you know, communal grieving. It can facilitate working through conflict. It can facilitate um, healing. They're very ancient, you know. I mean, it's it's not, it's not, there's nothing new about approaching, you know, coming, coming into a circle to, to address an issue. Quite, quite literally, like physically. Physically, yes, but, but there are also ways that people have gathered that isn't like a literal circle, but, but a coming together to, to collectively sort something out. So it's, it's not that like this, this process has emerged from one place. It's found all around the globe, both formally and informally. So circle processes are something that I feel really excited to do more of here in Cleveland with, you know, with family, with community, like they, again, like they, they're the use, the use for circle processes is very expansive. How would you use it? Like what is a situation you would use it? And then like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. So I actually just yesterday, um, used what I learned in my circle processes class, my learning was from Kay Pranis, to formulate a series of questions um, for, for a more informal circle conversation. So it wasn't, it wasn't a full circle process, which frequently uses a talking piece and a centerpiece. Um, but this was, this was a Zoom call with a few family members, and a few of us have come together around this experiment that we want to try. So we've been having like these bi-weekly Zoom meetings and we had one yesterday to understand, you know, what brought us all to this conversation and and what do we hope to, you know, what are our hopes for these conversations that we have for this experiment that we're trying? I was asked to, to facilitate that conversation yesterday. And so I, I thought through, okay, you know, what did I learn about opening a circle, you know, and, and opening a circle? Part of the opening is 
storytelling, sharing a story. So, you know, I put a question inviting people to, inviting my family to share a story, you know, and sort of gradually, you know, asking questions that gradually got to the heart of, of what we were talking about. Oh, wow. And sort of anticipating that there might be a little bit of tension. You know, you don't want to leave people at the end of a circle. You don't want to leave them feeling like, like, like there's a loose thread, you know, mm. or that, that something, something is unfinished. Now circles, you know, if you're, if you're coming together with the purpose of addressing an issue or something like that, you may not resolve whatever the issue is. You, you likely won't resolve whatever the issue is in one circle, hmm. but, but, but you can be strategic about acknowledging like the, the work that is to continue without leaving people feeling like, oh, like something just doesn't feel right. You know, like, or I, I feel like I didn't get to say all that I needed to say or me. So, you know, so what question can I ask to, to make sure that I'm not leaving people in that place of like, ah, oh, like that, you know, like, oh, I didn't quite get to say, you know, just that, like, it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I can see. Yeah. Your body is like moving around. Yeah. And really, I mean, one other thing I guess that I would want to say about a circle is it, it really is a space of, it, it's a shared space, you know. So I, you know, if I'm the circle keeper, yes, I, you know, plan my questions and I look at the structure of the circle and what we're going to do and the opening and the closing. But it's really, I mean, the circle really forms when when everyone feels like they're a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and really it requires that everyone is a part of it. It's, it's a space where power sharing is also happening, mm-hmm. you know, so, so a circle, you know, really, really aims to um, really like take away that, that the hierarchy that we, that so many of us operate in from day to day that happens as people participate. You know, yes, the, facil- the circle keeper has a role, but it's really the people, the people in the circle who, who, make, who make it. And, and the, the, the keeper's role is, you know, to make sure that, that everyone has a chance to speak. It's gonna take all that we've got. I know it's true. Every little bit of our love, me and you, it's gonna take patience, patience and time. All of the courage we have, all the faith we can find. And I'll preface this next part of the chat by saying that about 10 days ago, I was texting with Curbs and I expressed that I wanted to do more. I didn't know what to do. Um, And she suggested that I talk with family, friends, colleagues about the topic of racism in America. And this is specifically something that white people need to do with each other, white and non-black people of color. It's a taboo thing. It's not so easy to do, but it is so important. I also feel like it's really important for me to say and to just name that in my own introspection around this, I have realized my white privilege um, throughout my entire life, Um, my privilege on many different levels, actually. It's about seeing it, understanding it, acknowledging it. 
and moving forward. So I reference that um, in the conversation coming up. Kirby also shared that she wouldn't have felt comfortable coming on the podcast had it not been for our years of friendship. So while I'm inviting you to sit at the table with us, and we want you to hear this, please know that there's 16 years of friendship behind our conversation. And please don't misunderstand it as encouragement to broach similar topics with a Black person you don't have this kind of relationship with. All right, so pull up a chair and join us. Oh, there's Connor. Yeah. Hey. hey. Kirby says hi. <laughs> He's grabbing pretzels. Delicious. Wait, will you show her how big Connor? I see. Her? I see. see how big this pretzel <laughs> <Yeah>. thing is? <laughs> it's bigger than my head. <laughs> I mean, pretzels, though, are like a great thing to have in bulk. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> what I was saying was, um, yeah, so like I told you, I... I very clearly you have motivated me our previous conversations like you have motivated me to and maybe i would have anyway but the text from you and conversation with you that made me feel like this is something i can do yeah okay great donated cool i can like post on social media i want to do more i don't know what to do i have a feeling i'm not like the only person who feels that way it's like i can talk to family and so i i did I talked to the closest people with me, you know, first and mm-hmm. those conversations went really well. And so now you don't need to hear about the nitty gritty of those conversations that I have challenged myself to have with loved ones. A quick recap basically is that some of them went well to be expected. Others went surprisingly and heartwarmingly well. And others were a little disappointing um, without much understanding or connection. Um, and this is where I'll pick up here. Like when I look objectively at like how I went at that conversation versus how I went at it when it went well, mm-hmm. it was a little bit more like pointed and like, here's what I want to say mm-hmm. and less from a place of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I guess I just wanted to like share that with you partially to follow up on mm-hmm. our texts. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing more about that. Um yeah, I mean, so, yeah, many things come to mind. I mean, you know, first of all, like, thank you for doing that and good work doing that. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, I've said that to a lot of white people, like, that's a thing that you can do. And none of them have come back to me like you. Ha- I mean, and not that I've asked them to. Or not that they need to, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I do appreciate how you like heard me and you immediately were like, I'm going to do this. And then you were like, Kirby, this is how it went. (laughs) Um, Well, so it's, I'm glad, I'm really glad to hear you say that you appreciated me following up with you because honestly, I, I almost didn't because I was like, this is not like, this is not your problem, for lack of a better word. You inspired me to go do this thing. I almost felt like it was, like, potentially, like, putting it back on you with, like, my reporting back to you, which it's not, right? It's like you mobilized me. But, um, so anyway, I'm glad to hear that it wasn't like, oh, my God, Katie, okay, great, cool. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah, well, one of the things that 
that makes me receive that information how I did was because we have a relationship. Um, and so, you know, I didn't feel like you were coming and, and also that you framed it wasn't like you're coming back being like, okay, Kirby, like, look at me. I did this thing that you said, you know, like, <laughs> where's um, my pat on the like, back? Where, kind of thing? Right. Right. Um, because that's, I mean, because I'm not interested in that, but I think the fact that we, we do have a, a, you know, a really, a long, what, how long? Oh God. God. <laughs> <laughs> Over a decade of friendship. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, I, I, and, and, you know, the way that you framed it, it was, it was easy for me to receive, you know, your follow-up. So, so I wouldn't say it's a hard, fast rule that like I'm into hearing what white people are doing around racism. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think, I mean, especially for pe- for the white people who I'm in close relationship with, hearing about the work that you're doing or seeing the work that you're doing, it makes me really kind of understand that that you care, like that you care enough to do the work. And it's just sometimes it's just helpful to see that, you know, like sometimes it's just helpful to to have a clear picture that white people that I care about are like stepping up to say something, they're doing something about this, this harmful system that we all live in. This is not a new comment or new language, but one of the signs that I've seen a lot recently that I have not seen in the past at protests around police violence, incidences of police violence or, you know, rogue white vigilante violence are, you know, things like white silence is violence and, th- you know, things iterating that, that point. And so, you know, in a system where violence of varying forms <clears throat> against Black people, people of color, Indigenous people uh, is so visible. I mean, it's, it's both visible and invisible, but it's, it's, so, it's so in your face um, to not hear or not see anything from, you know, white people that I care about is, it's noticeable, you know, like, um, it's noticeable. And so again, I don't need like all of my white friends coming to me and being like, this is what I did today, Kirby, (laughs) because, because also it's not about that, right? That idea of like, you know, who are you when people aren't looking, you know, it's like you can perform all you want to, you can use the right words and you can wear the right stuff or you can be in the right spaces, do what, like perform justice, performative justice. But, but who are you, you know, who are you when you're in your intimate relationships with people of vulnerable or marginalized communities? Um, you know, who are you then? Or like, who are you when you're just sitting at home by yourself and you're thinking and reflecting on, you know, things that you're seeing happen around you, you know, that real like deep internal work that if you don't say a word to anyone, no one will ever know, you know, like nobody will ever know what's inside, but it's, I mean, I believe it's from that deep internal place that you, you know, that, that we have the, the, 
I mean, the most impactful change to make, but also um, the most power to act, you know, like that's, you can tell when someone is genuine um, versus when they're performing. (laughs) Everything that's happening right now, and I can sense, and I've talked with some people where there's like, you know, some shaming and judging and, um, you know, some people who are maybe not as like social media savvy or something as at least they perceive me to be, have reached out to me and like, should I do this or what should I? And my response every time is like, listen, I don't, I don't know. But like what I'm telling myself is if my heart's in the right place, that's all that matters. And however it's going to be perceived by others, you have no control over, I have no control over, is my heart in the right place? And so I'm curious, cause you kind of just did like a, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So like. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, I, you know, you, you also know like what I'm about to say, which is the impact or the, the intention does not necessarily matter. Um, it's the impact that, mm. that does. So, um, I mean, in, in, the, you know, in many cases, I believe that people's heart is in the right place, but if there's been a harmful impact, then it, it does matter less what the intention was because the harm was created. And so then it's a matter of, addressing that impact, like acknowledging and addressing the impact. So, you know, like the best apologies are not ones that start out with, oh, like, you know, what I meant was, or, oh, I didn't mean, you know, it's just like a straight up, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry that what I, I'm sorry about what I said, you know, not trying to qualify the impact by saying my intention was this, I mean, you know, some t- I mean, it can be helpful to hear, like, my intention was not to hurt you, and I'm sorry that I did, but, but sort of couching it in, like, you know, I had good intentions doesn't, it doesn't mitigate, like, the impact. You know, I mean, so I'm, I'm thinking in the context of race, although this is, this is not exclusive to race and racism, but, you know, I mean, there's just a long legacy of people, white, white folks or systems impacting people of color, communities of color in really harmful ways. And, you know, this, this like, oh, we didn't mean it being used to like dismiss the impact, dismiss the harm. And so I can hear you say, you know, I'm trying to act out of this, this, you know, place of good intention. And I, and I hear you and I know what you mean you know, it's, it's also made within a larger context where people have used that same yeah. language in, in harmful ways or, or in ways to dismiss, that dismiss the impact and pain that has been caused. And it's, yeah. and it's excused, right? Oh, they didn't mean it. We can move on now. Right. You know? Um, so I think it's just like that, that awareness too. Yeah. I guess, um, I want to go back to the the silence thing um, because and, and and kind of draw it into the different speeds at which people are are processing and I feel more 
fired up. I don't know if fired up is the right way to say this, but I feel more motivated and driven about this. I recognize that in myself. And basically what I'm saying is why the hell haven't I thought this before about this same issue that's been around forever? And like, Kirby, I, I love you more than you will ever know. And, and here's an example of why is because when we spoke last week on the phone, we were having a little conversation about this. And I was like, you know, I just, you know, my excitement was getting, and I was like, I feel like it's the beginning of a movement. And it was like, beat, (laughs) pause, you know, and you very, very graciously said, well, Katie, (laughs) it's not like this has been happening for a long time. It's not the beginning. It's an, and I was just like, like, yeah, yes, duh, no, no, duh. Um, And I am so grateful that you responded in such a caring way towards me. Um, And I circled it back to that to, in one way, share with anyone listening to this, the kind of person that you are. Um, But also going back to the timeline thing of like how people are processing this. And so... Yeah, me, yeah, so I'm late. I'm late to the game, but now I'm like in it. I'm all in it, hands and feet, like ready to go to work. And other people, maybe they're a little more timid and maybe they don't know what, what to post yet or for, just for instance, because social media is such a thing. Um, maybe they're, you know, reading articles online and trying to understand more. And so I I guess I want to bring it back to timeline because just as it is not new, it also sadly probably will not end as soon as we want it to. (laughs) So like, I don't know what my question is, but. Well, I have a question. Okay. I have heard other white, white people who I'm close to say that they've they've experienced similar to what you shared they've experienced that some of their white family members white friends are are waking to action in a way that they haven't seen before it's been i'd say primarily white people and um non-black people of color a little bit less so primarily i'm i'm thinking about the number of white people that I've heard this from. Um, and so I'm curious why this feels different for you. Like what, what is it? A, can you pinpoint yet? What is it about this particular moment that has inspired you to move in a different way? That's such an excellent question. I... <sighs> I want to say, and I'm going to immediately circle back and say this can't be it, but I want to say it's like just, it's, it's a feeling of like enough, right? But like, why was this enough? And why, what's the difference? Like what marks this? The first thing, I mean, honestly, Kirby, I think I'm going to have to like think about this and like like journal journal about this and really like what, yeah, what is it? For me personally, the beginning of it, I think has a lot to do 
with like my, my partner before was that the, I forget, but it was like before it was a thing on, before it was a thing in social media and in the news, like Connor was really disturbed by it. And he was talking to me about it. And he was like, Hey babe, I like, I hope you don't mind. I just donated to the Minnesota Freedom Fund on behalf of us. I just bleeped that out because it doesn't matter how much we spent. We gave what was a significant chunk for us, and but there's no any comparing of what we gave and what you gave. Just give what you can give to causes that move you. Okay, back to the chat. Even at that time, I was like, of course, but what? Like, wait, so f- fill me in again? Like, what? my partner's early investment and action bled into me. That's one thought. Another thought, and this, like, this might not reflect on me very well, but recognizing, well, feeling excited about other people feeling excited, right? So feeling, and I, I hate to have it come across as like a bandwagon mentality, but I am excited by like, we can make some freaking stuff happen because like I, like I wonder if part of it has been like a feeding off of of everyone mm-hmm. but I, I do need I need to think about this more I'm talking talking off the dome here <laughs> yeah I mean and I yeah I mean I thanks for for making an attempt um it it's I mean it was a genuine question because yeah I, because I really am curious to to know like what what does feel different about this moment something does feel different just in general does um, it for for you as well like yeah yeah and I've I've had this conversation with some other friends um, I, and and even with my parents you know I mean my mom. It's interesting because my mom said that this, something about this feels different for her too, this moment. She watched the video of George Floyd being killed by the police officer. Um, I mean, my dad, my dad watched it too, but she said, you know, something about seeing that video and seeing the officer's face impacted her in, in a, deeply unsettling, very troubled, very hurtful way that for her felt different. Um, So I think, you know, there has been documentation thanks to, you know, the technology that we have today, thanks to social media. There has been documentation at, I think, a different level in recent history. Um, But something about like, witnessing that particular murder like really hit my mom in a different way. My dad um, said for him seeing not, not, I mean, perhaps it was, yes, the video of the killing, but also the subsequent protests for him felt both like it invoked this mem- these memories of the same of, you know, the protests in 68 and of the, the beating of Rodney King, which was in 91. So my dad went back in his memory, you know, so it's, and it's been really, really wonderful and like 
inspiring for me to have conversations with my parents who, who actually like the, the conversation difference for me with my parents has been like, they, they seem to be shifting to a more radical place around the, the around the kind of future that they want to see um, or the, the kind of world that they want to live in the future that they want to see. That's exciting. Um, so yesterday, yeah, we had a conversation about, about prison abolition and defunding the police. And like my parents were like, yeah, you know, my mom was a little bit more like, well, you know, maybe not like, defund all of the police, but like, you know, and so we talked about it. We talked about what that meant. And, you know, my own learning journey, unfolding learning journey around prison abolition. And, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't a contentious, like, no, we need police. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it was, it was like, yeah, that sounds right. Let's, let's talk more about that. Um, And so that has felt different for me personally, but I think in terms of the larger, the, the larger context, you know, I, I think the thing that I've landed on in terms of what, one of the things anyway, that makes this moment feel different is because it's, it's happening during a pandemic. Oh yeah. And what we saw in early in like mid-March in late March and early April, you know, kind of at the beginning of when the U.S. started to close down, there were corporations and businesses that and, and community members who were responding in these ways that hadn't, that I haven't seen before, responding to the needs of people. So community, communities have always been responsive to the needs of communities. But corporations, you know, like Wi-Fi companies or internet companies saying, you know, we will offer free Wi-Fi, we will offer significantly reduced cost Wi-Fi to families with children so that they can access, you know, online education. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Or, you know, utility companies saying we aren't going to shut off people's utilities because of non-payment. Right, right now. And right. so we're seeing, we're seeing corporations respond to people's urgent needs in ways that we haven't seen before. Hmm. And so that, that has generated some energy around, wait a second, <laughs> you can do that? <laughs> oh, so like you've been able to do that. You've just chosen not to do that. But under these, you know, pandemic conditions, you're willing to to shift in ways that you've not done before. Huh. So maybe we don't have to go back to how things were, you know? So like really inspiring this this energy around, like the wool's been lifted, you know, like the cat's yeah. out of the bag. Like you've <laughs> shown what's possible. And so now, now, we we have like a clear way of being like, well, that's what we want. Like we want that to stay. You know, we don't want to settle for communities that don't have internet access. So it's generating this excitement around things that are possible because yeah. we've gotten a glimmer of what's possible. And so it feels like that same energy is like 
that energy of possibility is now mingling with the energy of enough that you've, that you've experienced feeling, particularly in this moment, that many people have been experiencing. This is my theory. Like, it's just causing a different, you know, different pulse in the air. Uh, that, that, that makes perfect sense to me. What else could the future look like? Yeah. So I guess just in terms of timeline with with conflict or very specifically what what the world and america is going through right now and it is very aligned with my personality to like want to ram ahead like just like and now we go and like go 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 until until we have justice basically right that's not how the world works and um a couple, I guess a couple thoughts on that. One, for people who maybe need to circle the drain a bit more, you know, kind of more strategically think, what is the biggest impact I can have? What, how do I have this conversation versus like, I will literally just pick up the phone and call and kind of figure it out as I go. Good and bad, right? I have had like little arguments with people about like, the time is now. The time is now. You have to act now. Like, how true is that versus like, yes, it's been a long fight. We have longer to go. I don't know. What would, what would you, what do you say to this, this, I guess, like very vague question, but of just like timeline stuff? Do, are people going to miss out on being of help if they are still figuring out how to have conversations? <sighs> yeah. I mean, so it's like a very common common challenge that comes up when you're thinking about large transformational work. But then, you know, my kind of immediate response to like, as you were formulating the question was like, slow down. Mm. (laughs) But also like, you know, people are, people are bleeding now. People are dying now, you know, so, so to say like slow down in the face of ongoing violence can sound tone deaf at best and like, you know, insensitive, irresponsible. But I do think that, yes, I mean, there is, there is a, a very familiar tendency of like wanting to immediately be like, okay, what can I do? How do we fix this? How do we fix this? Um, and I, I mean, you know, in smaller ways, that's also an energy present in me that I'm learning how to like work with, you know, if somebody, you know, that I care about comes to me and they have a problem, you know, my, my immediate instinct is to be like, okay, how can I help them fix this? Right. They didn't necessarily come to me to ask me to fix anything. (laughs) Um, but I care about them. I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see them sad. And so I want to do what I can to, to stop them from being hurt and stop them from being sad. Um, what I'm learning to do is to just slow down and be present with people. You know, again, back to the listening, right? I mean, people have told me how valuable it was when I listened to them, even though I could do nothing for their situation. Hmm. So reminding myself to just relax for a second, listen, you know, listen for, are they asking me to to respond in a particular way? Um, Or, you know, maybe, maybe I ask them, 
you know, is there something that I can do or what do they need right now? Rather than thinking that I know how to address whatever they've brought to me. That was kind of like immediately what I, what I thought, because there is such a desire and, and, and rightly so, you know, I mean, rightly so like the things that have been happening for hundreds of years are angering and horrific and unfair and unjust. And I want them to stop too. Like, I just want them to stop. Um, so, so, so that is like reasonable. Like I get it, you know? Um, but also when we're too quick to act, we can also do harm. Mm. And so, you know, so even thinking about like some of those hard conversations, listening with curiosity um, and not listening to say like, what are you going to say next or how are you going to refute or, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but really listening without having a, you know, another next sentence in your mind. So what you're suggesting right now, I think requires an element of unlearning. Yeah. And I, I mean, I really learned that way of listening when I was trained with Cleveland Mediation Center, you know, and I, I always considered myself a pretty good listener, but, but listening in that way, it is different and it feels different and it takes, it takes a different kind of focus. The other thing, you know, in terms of just larger systemic change. You know, it's like we can have these, these one-on-one conversations or small group conversations, or we can have, you know, circles in our community to talk about challenges that we're experiencing. And that, and that's important. And these are, these are systems, you know, that are going to take, um, it's, it's, it, you know, yes, individual action, but also like large collective action. Systems change is a long game. It's a long game. It took, you know, hundreds of years at least for some of these systems, for in the, in the U.S., I'm thinking, right, um, to, to shape. And it's, it's going to take time to unravel them, to tear them down, and to form something new. And so while we are working on that long game, it's it's both acknowledging and doing what we can to 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 mitigate those immediate harms because yeah i mean police yes stop killing people right now that is what we want yeah ultimately i want to live in a world where we don't need to call on the police to alleviate the things that we call them on for now. You know, we have other systems in place, we have other supports in place to prevent things from getting to a situation or getting to a point where we would call the police, where some might call the police now. But in the meantime, yes, I want, while they are here, I want them to stop killing people. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's just that challenge of, of, of working for both at the same time and finding, finding your place in that work, thinking about what are your gifts what do you have to offer and, and, and reaching out to, to the folks in your community who are doing the work, Mm. you know, looking, I think looking there first always makes sense. Look close to you, um, and, and support those efforts. Show me a future that I want to see and I want
afraid it's gonna take all that we've got i know it will when push comes to shove in a heart of steel keep it quirky. <laughs> I, I'm glad that um, I had a heads up on this question. <laughs> I was talking with Jonathan, my partner, and I, I was like, yeah, you know, Katie's, Katie's like whole thing is keeping it quirky. And she's going to ask me, how do I keep it quirky? <laughs> and I don't know. And he was like, oh, do you want me to tell you? Uh, yes, Jonathan! <laughs> 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 so, my my cat voice. Oh my so God. Yes. Cat. Um, I talk to her a lot and she, she's a very vocal cat. So we have a fun little back and forths. And can you give us an example of the cat voice? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> of, co- of course not. I, I <laughs> um, so, so I'll say, hi cat. Come here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> it's Kirby, I've never heard you say use this voice. <laughs> that's right. I only use it with Stella. <laughs> In your years I've known you. Oh my god, that's a good one. Uh, Kirby, I I cannot tell you how much it means to me that you were open to coming on the podcast and talking. Um, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, but thank you for for inviting me. Um, as an introvert, you know, I'm not prone to just like talking about myself. <laughs> if somebody asks me a question, I'm very happy to answer. <laughs> but I'm not, I don't often, I mean, whether it's vulnerable information or not, you know, right. I don't, I'm not, I don't just go on and on about myself. And so I appreciate having direct questions Um, and you're also really good at asking questions you know I mean so like you're doing you know you're doing this podcast you have your YouTube work you know I mean like your work is very it's food focused and it's people focused so I think you also happen I mean not happen to maybe happen to but also you've cultivated within yourself a skill to ask inviting or questions that invite deep answers. Thank you for, for your curiosity. Mm -hmm. I I appreciate it. I adore you. And, um, if you have like resources that people can check out, can, can I get them from you and then I'll like put them in the show notes. Okay, cool. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Kirby, you're amazing. I love you. Thank you. And you can all find some of her resources in the show notes. If you want to find her on Instagram, she is at K-E-V-A-B. 
on Instagram. Thanks as always to the musician at Funky Brian who wrote this theme song. And on Instagram, you can find the podcast at Keep It Quirky Podcast. And to find me, I'm at QKD. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoy it. It really goes a long way to helping other people hear hear this, hear this conversation and hear the other conversations. Thank you for listening. I'll see you all real soon. And in the meantime, don't forget to keep it quirky. Thank you.